Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening and welcome to the program. My very special guest tonight is Kelly Bradley. Kelly, are you with me? Yes. Hello, Michael. Hello, Kelly. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. We're fantastic. It's going to be a fun time. I've got a question for you. Yes. Okay. What is poetry? What is poetry? So poetry to me is art. It's an emotion. It's something that elicits a response, a reaction, or an emotional response. And poetry can be simple or complex. It can be a song. It can be a rap. It can be a word. Um, I, I don't have a strict definition of poetry. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. Why is it important? Poetry is super important. So I see poetry as a way to tell a story. Um, and like I said, to elicit a, a, a reaction or to describe an emotion. Uh, poetry seems to be the root of songs. Uh, I ventured into songwriting and I use poetry as my base in, in order to create those. Um, they can even be the base for a movie or a book or a painting. Um, it's really important poetry to share and experience different emotions, different ideas, different right. concepts. All right, very nice, very nice. As you think about your body of work, what are mm -hmm. some of the predominant themes? What are some of the themes? Sure, so some of the themes in, in my current work um, are, well, it's titled Love, Loss, and the Enormity of It All. So love and loss, uh, grief, heartbreak, joy, those are all themes um, in, in my piece. Um, also family. Um, I like to tell stories about different members of the family. Um, that's, a, that's an important theme. And then finally, Michael, I would say nature. Uh, nature is such an important part of my life, and I love to write about it. All right. Very nice. Now, how does a poem begin for you with an idea, a form, or an image? So, great question. Um, for me, poetry forms as an idea. Um, it could be an idea or a thread, and then uh, sometimes it comes to me immediately, and I have to stop what I'm doing and, and get that down. Other times, um, it will just start percolating, and it will start growing and um, getting strength and breath, and then I'm able to sit down and write it. Now, as you think about your beginnings in poetry, what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Okay, so I did learn early on uh, that poetic language and written language had power. Um, one example was uh, I had a, a kitten, a cat, who I loved so much. Uh, his name was Petey, and Petey died uh, one day, right, as, as animals do, and I was heartbroken. I was so sad. Um, so at the time, I really liked this song uh, by Elton John called Empty Garden, and I wrote a poem <laughs> to the tune of Empty Garden for my cat Petey, and that really helped me. I, I still have that poem to this day. It helped me with the grieving process, um, and, and I went back to it when I wanted to, you know, think about him or remember him. Uh, another item that I remember, Michael, was um, just getting writing assignments as, as a young kid and then having them posted up on uh, the hallways, and parents would come and read. And, and I just remember people commenting about some of the things that I had written, and I, that just made an impression on me that um, words are, are important and they can get people's attention and um, that, 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 that they can have an impact. All right. Please share a poem. Okay, certainly I would love to. So 
Um, I'm going to read one from Love, Loss, and the Enormity of It All. Um, this one is uh, coming up this Saturday. It's an anniversary in my family, and um, that's what this particular poem is about. March 20th, 2018. Dad. Spring equinox. Rebirth. On the day of your death. Rains poured all day, then transcended to snow, which quieted the city for an entire day, just like you did when you left your hospital room in this life, all five of your kids, Jimmy and the crew of 16 from the hospital, quiet as a church mouse. In that room with the sky-high ceiling and wall of windows, we said and sang our goodbyes, and off you flew, up to your God with your brothers, mom and dad, and our mom. A stark contrast to the shocks, the stent, the pump placed directly on the skin above your heart, the tube to help you breathe, and a 33-degree body temperature. In the ER, you agreed to try and get your heart fixed. You spoke to Dr. Bradley, the physician who helped care for you on your last day on this earth. Dr. Bradley with Dr. Bradley, in the place where you completed your ophthalmic fellowship. What are the odds? Your heart was not mendable, and so they worked on you, listening to your brave decision until we could all be there to witness you go back home. No more suffering, no more pain. Your legs now jump waves in the ocean, walk wherever you want to go, dance, jaunt, Skip, not here with us, but there, wherever you are. Keep watch over us. I will miss our conversations, your concern, your love, your advice and laughter. I love you, Dad. So glad we got to know one another in this lifetime. Wow. Done. That's beautiful. Thank so you. Powerful. Thank you. I could really see the images. I really could. Do you think that someone can be a be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Um, you know, I do think that someone can be a poet if they don't feel strong emotions. I think then they're approaching life in a different way, Michael. And so mm -hmm. they could write about what what that where they are, um, what their baseline is, what their observations are. Um, I don't think all poetry um, is required to have emotion. Um, a lot of the ones I read and write do, um, but I, but I think there is leeway for someone without a lot of emotion to be able to write poetry. Yes. Please share another poem. Okay, certainly. How about regeneration? Regeneration. I trip stumble, fall down and hit my head, lose my eyes, shred my heart, tear right arm, slash my ears, rip out my insides, screaming, steady in the darkness, I breathe, I do not falter, pop eyes in, ice my head, sew heart back together with borrowed rays of sunshine, reattach right arm, restore ears, Scoop up insides, then bathe in the starlight under a new moon. Never the same, a better version walks the earth in this lifetime with scars that strengthen, resolve, and spirit, and ready me for the next lesson, which is not far away. And, sorry, poem? Michael, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Why did I write that poem? So... Um, I actually wrote a trilogy of, of poems. Initially, this was a part of a trilogy called The Beating, and um, it was part one, two, and three. <laughs> My editor, thank goodness for his wisdom, had me uh, rethink those titles. <laughs> and right. um, this, this poem is, um, again, about regeneration, right? Um, you get down, things happen, but um, there's always a way up. It might might not be the up that you thought it would be, <laughs> but there always is a way up. And so that's just one thing I try to demonstrate in, in some of my poems. All right. You know, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some mm -hmm. of yours and what makes them great in your eyes? 
Okay, yeah. I actually have some of their books around me. They're keeping me company while we're talking this evening. <laughs> um, oh, wow, some of nice. the <laughs> Well, I'm really bad at names, Michael, so I needed the <laughs> the visual <laughs> cue. And the company, okay. and the company. Um, so I will say, you know, going way, way back, uh, Shel Silverstein is someone who, who I read as a young child and, and loved and even continued to read to my children. Um, All Things Mary Oliver, love, love Mary Oliver and her poems. Um, also, John O'Donohue, um, really, really enjoy him, him as a poet and hearing him read. I've heard him read on several podcasts before, um, before his death. And then... The other neat thing is that I am so lucky. I am friends with and have family members who are poets. So um, Bart White is one of them. He he was actually also uh, my editor, and he's a cousin. And then Michael Zarnecki, my publisher with Foothills Publishing. Um, and then Kristen Kowalski-Farragut. She is someone who was on your podcast, <laughs> and I enjoyed yes. that interview. So I'm just lucky to have um a rich group of, of friends and poets that are living and breathing and putting out work as well as the others who I've read um, since a young child and, and then later as an adult. Well, see, I didn't ask whether you came from a literary background or not. <laughs> right. Is that the next question? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay, right, yes, right. So I'm, I'm just really, I've been very fortunate um, to have been raised around books. Um, when I was really young, my dad had a den, and this den was filled with books. Um, and so I, I would be able to go there and and read. Um, I would find solace in books as a kid. Um, I have a mom who was an English teacher, <laughs> and so um, she ha had a rich background as well. And I found later that she was a poet. I, after she died, I found some of her poems that she had written, and she really was a was a talented poet um, and writer as well. But books, um, aside from radio, which I have to say, it's so exciting to be on a live radio show. I um, again, I when I was very young, I, I had a cat who was a radio inside of this cat stuffed animal and would listen to AM stations all the time so <laughs> radio and books um really kept right. me company through my childhood you know let's go back for a second you talked about sure. different poets mm -hmm. what wish you would be your mentor could have been your mentor oh i would have loved to have been able to sit down with mary oliver you know i did send her a letter <laughs> once oh, um wow. Yeah, and, and never heard back, but I, I just, her poems resonate with me, her story, her outlook on life. Um, it, it would have been so neat to have even just had an opportunity to connect with her. Mm -hmm. Well, what, what's, what exactly resonates about Mary Oliver? Well, yes, so she spends a lot of time outside and in nature and observes nature. Um uh, and just being outside, you know, she would talk about being outside with her notebook, um, the things that she observes. Um, it's it's just crucial. You know, I find that nature seems to get farther and farther away from us as technology and, you know, <laughs> suburbanism <laughs> gets gets more and more. So nature is so precious and so important. And, and her observations and the way that she's able to put them to words um, just brings you there, right? She, she wrote this piece about this spider and a spider web that she observed as it uh, made a family. <laughs> and then the children came and um, then it was time for her to leave the house. And so she they told the cleaning people not to go into that corner so that it could continue. I mean, I would never have thought or have taken the time to observe. And ever since reading that piece, you know, I look at spider webs a lot differently because of the right. thought and the details that she puts into them. Wow. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. Yes.
Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Kelly Bradley. Kelly, people write in so many different places. Where do you go to write? Where do I go to write? So the crazy thing about me, Michael, is I don't have a spot <laughs> that I write in regularly. Okay. Like I said, um, it's almost like um, like things come to me. And so I write. So one example is I was um, packing my house to move a couple years ago. And in the garage, there were these um, things that I called something spiders. And these things um, actually <laughs> like torture me and me through my childhood and even adulthood, um, these quote-unquote jumping spiders. And so I um, I didn't want to kill them. And my neighbor had a son, and he came over, and he collected them for me into a glass jar and let them go. And so uh, that little episode happened within the early evening, and then I went to one of my son's blog games, and I had to open up my phone and write a poem. And I can read it if you want. It's in my book. Um let me see if I can find that here. So, again, they, they just come to me, and I have my handy iPhone, and I write it down on my iPhone. Or if I don't have that, I have a piece of paper, and I write it there. And let me see if I can find that. Um, one moment. I'm just scanning here. Yes, no problem. Um, while I'm finding that one, I could tell... Another story. So for some reason, I'm unable to um, locate that one, but I know I will. Um, another way that, that a song came to me, um, just recently I was able to participate in a, in a one-day retreat with this artist. Um, his name is Trevor Hall, who I just really enjoyed his music. And um, there was one year where one song of his called Everything I Need got me through the entire year. And I was able to relay that to him. And then um, as a part of this whole online retreat, there was a concert and he was able to play that song uh, for me. And it was just the most incredible experience. So I woke up the next morning and um, all of that, that whole experience um, came together and I started to write this poem. So I started writing on my laptop. Then I walked my dog uh, for a little bit, came back and wrote the rest of it. And then I shared it with that group. So this is a poem, if I may, <laughs> called How I yes. Became a Song. Thank you. How I Became a Song. Less than three years ago, I experienced a loss so profound, I lost myself in the glare of artificial light shining through my window. In darkness, I spoke to my guides, brought in healing, Tibetan prayer flags from a nearby temple, bridges across from Ireland. I peaked mountains, traveled in dreams, called upon my parents and angels, walked miles in the woods, leaned into the sun and moon, received love, and listened to a song for an entire year until I became the song. Last night, not three feet from those flags, I heard that song played live on a Zoom call with 54 beautiful souls. I sang, I wept, and I danced as I became the song once again. Done. You became the song once again. I did. What were you on a quest for, Kelly? What Walking am I on? Miles. Yes. I was on a quest of, of healing, um, okay. survival, yep, um, but mostly healing. All right. All right. Okay. You know, they say Mike, that to see the world. I'm yeah. sorry. No, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. <laughs> they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, and poets. What mm. do you think emerges naturally from your work? Sure. So from my work, what emerges is my perspective, right? It's, it's my viewpoint on things that happen to people that I am finding universally. Um, so even though it, it's my perspective and my unique in my uh, mind observation, um, it still travels to other people and, and other people can um, resonate with it and understand it. Even if um, the meaning, the, my meaning behind it, um, it, do, it doesn't have to be their meaning, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. 
Where do you hail from? Me, you know what? I was born in Washington, D.C. So, and I live in the Washington, D.C. area. Yep. (laughs) I know. Um, But I grew up in in that, the suburbs of Washington, D.C. I did go to school in North Carolina um, and then ended up back in the Washington, D.C. area. My ancestors, though, are from Ireland. So happy St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much. (laughs) I found that poem. Okay, sure, Michael. I I found the Jumping Spiders poem. So this is the one where um, all of a sudden, all of the experiences with these crazy, scary (laughs) insects or whatever they're called uh, came came into uh, this poem. The Jumping Spiders. What if these are the ones who haunted you in your childhood? My neighbor's son said as he scooped the palm-sized jumping spiders into a glass jar, then set it free in the woods several yards from my garage. It was the third of five. The last two were hiding. They would be relocated tomorrow at my neighbor's insistence. I was selling my home, needed to clean my garage, but couldn't. These are harmless camel crickets, he said, as he examined the specimens in the jar. Harmless crickets? They look nothing like Jiminy Cricket, nothing at all. It isn't a rational fear, but one with roots to childhood, the subject of adult nightmares. Spiders drop from the ceiling. I awake, screaming, gasping, battling the illusions with my arms. She is okay now. Finally, we can go said the group of five. They had been following her, her three sisters and brother, for decades, hiding in garages, under couches, behind shelves, under tables, on clothing. They jumped like the sisters did when they were young and hopped in potato sacks, skipped rope, leaped from trees and over creeks. They striped their legs like the peppermints in the Candyland board game, went to college, to one home, then another, and another, had phone books thrown at them, heard screams so harrowing they almost died from fright, were exterminated by professionals, yet persisted, because they were there to protect. We love you. We see you. We are you. Now you know. Done. (laughs) That made me smile. That really made me smile. Good. <laughs> you're, you're great, Kelly. You're great. Uh, thank you so much. I could see it. I could see it. That was, Michael, that was have you ever really, seen? Really, really nice. Thank you so much. <laughs> have you seen what camel crickets really look like? They are terrifying. No, I haven't. I, oh, I really? Would, oh, my gosh. I would go down into the basement as a young child, and we had a couch, orange, white, and I think it was red, yes, striped couch next to the washer and dryer. I would peek my head under that couch, and all you would see were these bent legs with this oval, big oval head. (laughs) And I'm starting to freak out a little right now (laughs) talking about it. (laughs) I mean, I didn't know that they were, were, quote, unquote, crickets. I really thought they were spiders, and, and they jump. That's the other thing that's scary about them. They can jump towards you, not just crawl. Um, anyway, it's all good now. I made peace with with that poem and with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're talking about living creatures. Mm-hmm. Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it. While others edit meticulously, not leaving much room for the original draft form. Mm. What is your take on it? Right. So. Mine, I, I, I mean, you can't go wrong with a good, great editor, right? I had a really good editor, as I mentioned, help me with my poems. The way that mine come to me and the way that I personally work, I don't um, rework and go over and over them. Um, it's usually minor things here and there. But that's just my style and how I work. I know everyone's different. Um, I do think that things can be changed. I mean, I mentioned I have two songs that are out there, and when I hear them and, I, and I'm just singing to them, I'm not a singer. My <laughs> Katie uh, Newton-Morris is a singer. I'm just, I just help her write. But when I'm singing them to myself, <laughs> um, 
I'll change the lyrics a little bit, you know, and so like as as things go and time goes on, you know, I feel like there is room to change things. I don't think anything is ever set in stone. Even some of the poems I read now, I'll I'll change something here and there and just make a little note in the book or a note on the piece of paper. Um, So I definitely think things are never set in stone. Um, They can always evolve. Um, Mine, I I don't uh, spend hours and hours editing. All right. Share another poem, please. Okay, certainly. Let's see. Um, Okay, this is one that I I recently wrote after having uh, the taste of the most beautiful taste of this cake uh, that I had to write a poem (laughs) about it. And I sent uh, the poem to the woman that made the cake, and she was very touched. Cake. Never before has a cake brought tears to my eyes, transported me from now to then, childhood, freedom, and my mom. I had forgotten, Veggie Annie, of the sweet and tangy orange frosting on spice cake she made for me. Your frosting brought her to me when she is no longer here. Annie's vegan dark chocolate cake with gorgeous blood-red orange frosting flooded with sweet memories I had forgotten. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Done. What do you think is the most difficult part of your artistic process? Okay. The most difficult part of my artistic process was finding it when I lost it. Um, My mother died, and uh, I think it was about four or five years ago, and I was unable to read. I still am just getting back to being able to read uh, for pleasure, and I couldn't write. And I would talk to one of my sisters and say, I don't know what happened. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I can't write. And writing has been a part of my life, but my entire life, really, <laughs> since I've learned to write. So I missed it, but I couldn't force it. Um, she and I would talk, and she'd say, Kelly, it's, it's going to come back. I know it's going to come back. It will come back. And thank goodness it, it came back, you know. And some of it was writing through that grief, which helped it come back. Um, but just trusting and believing that it would come back um, was one of the hardest uh, parts of my artistic process. And, and so it's the patience and the trust. The patience and the trust. Those are very powerful words, very important yeah. words, very yeah. important words. You know, so much is happening in the world today, Kelly. Yeah. What do you think is the role of a poet in modern-day society? Sure. So a poet in modern-day society speaks their truth. <laughs> they speak what they see and their observation of that. Um, and, and you said role. Is that right, Michael? What is a poet's role? Yes. Yeah, yes. no, that's a good word. Because I don't – I was thinking you might have said duty, and I don't think they have a duty, right? That's a very different no. <laughs> way of saying things. But role is for sure um, – just saying their truth, and then if they if they're willing to share and they can share, share it because that's when um, the words have power, power to heal, <laughs> power to get people to think in another way, um, power to know they're not alone. You're so profound. <laughs> These chats every night, Michael. <laughs> I appreciate that. I like what you're saying. I like what you're Thank saying. You. Thank you very much. <laughs> Share another poem for us. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Um, so this is a poem, again, I can't give my editor enough props. I was a fan of the untitled poems. I just felt, uh, how can you title a poem? How can I add a title to this? It's untitled. Like, I was very firm in that, and we we met uh, for several months, um, just not because it took so long, but we enjoyed our company and it, and it was an iterative process. So this poem had been untitled, and now um, I'm so glad he talked me out of that. The title of this one is called "To Sit with Tea," and it's been one of the more popular ones um, 
from my book. And it's so easy to find because I just look for the title to sit with tea. I can't imagine if I was looking for <laughs> untitled among 10 untitled poems. Like, yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> here we go. Um, it's to sit with tea. I see you, your grief surrounding, shoulders stooped ever so forward as if protecting and comforting your heart. You are not alone. There are legions of us who grieve quietly in our own way. Let's make tea, boil water, steep leaves, cradle warmth from mug, sit close with gentleness and compassion to heal our grieving hearts together. I see you. Done. Your first collection is published by Foothills Publishing. Is it available on Amazon? You know, it's it's not available on Amazon, but I just encourage everyone to support uh, small independent publishers because um, I'm so grateful for the opportunity um, that Michael and Carolyn Zarnecki uh, have given me. So I do have a link to their site on my website. Um, for, for people to order um, and support independent publishers. It's so important. But no, not on Amazon, though. Okay. Love, Loss, and the Enormity of It All. Tell me more about That's that right. title. Sure, sure. So I do have a poem called The Enormity of It All. And that's a, a phrase that I've used in a few poems here and there, like referring back and forth. If you could have links to the poems, right, they would jump around to each other. Um, and then love and loss, you know, like I mentioned, so I have a dedication page in, in my book and it's filled. It's like the entire page is filled because it takes a village, right? I'm so <laughs> grateful for all the people that helped me. And, you know, a few of them couldn't make it. They knew the book was coming, but, um, they, they died. And so like that happened. And then also I mentioned my parents' deaths. I had, um, some uncles die, and then some of my children have had um, losses with um, people their age. So there was a lot of um, loss, but through that, a lot of love. So I wanted to just um, not have it be such a downer, <laughs> right, because there is, um, through loss and grief, there also is joy, um, which is yes. a really good thing. And then just the enormity of it all, just taking that phrase from one of my poems and adding that there, and then right nowadays like i didn't know that covid was going to happen <laughs> right mm -hmm. but it, but mm -hmm. there has been a lot of enormity of it all going around <laughs> yeah that's true do you have that poem in front of you i do i just opened it up <laughs> all right <laughs> perfect perfect topic okay. thank you the enormity of it all one moment this morning Deep in the woods, fear joined doubt to form sobs in my chest, which heaved heavily with breath and cries. Under a canopy of trees at the water's edge, on the path, bone-rattling sobs choked out. Until the vines sprang from the undergrowth, circled wrists, looped around shoulders, harnessed waist, and guided me above the soft earth. Along the path, escorted by a rabbit, waiting for me to catch up before hopping ahead, a red-winged blackbird atop the reeds. Three robins flew by my side as a blood-red cardinal waited for me at the bridge. In the woods, the fox looked my way as I floated above the path, supported by trees, as the sun warmed my heart, honeysuckle sweetened the air, Helicopter seeds twirled from the sky like a windy winter snowfall. Bullfrogs sang songs to the goslings. Around and around the pond we traveled until I left the sobs behind. Done. What did you learn when writing the book? Um... I learned that, that there are themes that I write about. <laughs> I learned that um, I can tell a, a good story. <laughs> and okay. um, I'm trying to think. So aside from writing the poems, I also 
did the cover art um, for my book, Michael, and on it are, are three beings. And um, two of them represent my mother and my father. And so I, I based it off of, they look very ethereal, but I based um, their dresses or garments after clothing that they, um, that I have of theirs. One is, um, it's like a, rainbow kind of striped collared shirt of my dad's and the other was a um, silvery dress that my mom wore to um, two different weddings and um, what I learned from <laughs> creating that it took about 10 hours I did a digital thing on my phone using my finger and would zoom in <laughs> to create all of the stars and all of the details it would zoom in very very tightly um, I learned that it was so healing <laughs> to create um, that piece of art and to uh, represent them and in some way honor them. Um, and, and also, again, that even putting the whole book together was, was very healing. It was also um, provided me with such joy. It, it was such a special thing to do and to be a part All of. Right. All right. This is a little twist on that question. What surprised you the most? What surprised me the most um, was how I dragged my feet <laughs> to put the book okay. together from the offer um, that I received from Michael. We were, we met um, in Virginia. We, um, we had both been camping and we met in a Burger King parking lot and we're sitting outside uh, sharing, what is the, whatever the vegetarian burger is that Burger King has. We've never tried it before. Impossible. And impossible. Impossible. Yes. yes. Thank you. <laughs> we were eating impossible burgers and um, he offered me a book deal and I was just so uh, excited. Um, I, I knew I had the work t to put it together, but then um, it took me a few months because uh, some of the stuff that I write about is, is uh, makes me, it's like I'm being very vulnerable, you know, sharing these yes. types of things yes. about grief and loss. And so mm -hmm. something, um, was stopping me from doing that. And, and the way I work, like I mentioned, it just comes to me. I, I um, write those poems. I needed that inspiration to put the book together and it wasn't coming. And I just kept dragging my feet, dragging my feet. And then um, I did find out about a friend of mine, acquaintance who had died and, and she had died by herself. And I didn't know all of her circumstances, but I knew um, we had similarities in, in our life and, and the path that our lives took. Um, and I realized, you know, I, I have healed enough to be able to share. I don't need to not share, keep quiet um, anymore. Um, and by doing so, I, I'm helping other people. And, and they've mentioned this to me and said this to me, and I've seen it. Um, and so upon that realization, um, everything came together, and I got the transcript together and, you know, worked with the editor off to Michael and Carolyn and, I have this amazing book here. So I was surprised just based on, like you call it, a literary background and how um, books and words have always been a part of me and I always knew I would produce. Um, but that, that surprised me that there was that little gap or halt <laughs> or hiccup uh, on the way there after it was offered. Does writing energize or exhaust you? Energize or exhaust. So I would have to say it must energize me because it's so satisfying when, uh, you know, you feel that mic drop <laughs> when you've written something and it's got all the meaning that you meant for it to be there. Um, and you're just doing that. I'm doing the fist bump. You can't see me because I'm on the phone. But um, it, I would say it, it energizes for sure. If you, excuse me, if you had to convince a friend or colleague to read this book, what might you tell them? So what I, how I, how I am, I would um, offer, offer a book and then if they're ready or under certain circumstances feel the need, then they'll read it. I had some family members, Michael, who were actually afraid to read my <laughs> book just because of, you know, my parents' um, deaths and how it's really, it's, it's a tough topic, right? And especially when it's the parent that you know that's reading about it. And even um, I have a, a stepdad and he um, 
I have a poem here about him called Step Person, and he hasn't read it yet. So that's where I'm reluctant to say, how why would I convince someone? Because I know it's like, you know, books appear, and that sometimes they sit next to your nightstand for a while or on your coffee table. And then when you're meant to, to read that, uh, you read it, you know? So I guess I would just, you know, and I have given um, the book as gifts to different people. And then I, I just wait, and it, everyone's response is different, and it comes at different times. So I know I didn't answer your question, but that's just my okay. <laughs> my take on it. <laughs> Let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. Sure. We are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Kelly Bradley. Kelly, please share another poem. Okay, absolutely. How about I was talking about my um, stepdad. Um, I'm going to read um, that poem. It's called Step Person. Step Person. In a dance hall, months after my dad died, you, his partner, who took on the label of caretaker, in the hospitals, at doctor's appointments, with the hospice angels, you, who did not want to be included in family photos, stood apart from us for many years. But on this day, in the dance arena, you said, these are my stepdaughters. Stepdaughter, the word looped in my mind, produced laughter and awe. I was your stepdaughter? How wonderful, how beautiful. I have never had that role or been so honored to have it. Jimmy, my stepdad. Done. Your writing is so clear, so accessible. I really like your work. I really like your work. Appreciate it, Michael. That means a lot coming from you. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, don't Don't believe the hype, but I really, really like your work. You know, all poets have several words that come up over and over again, words Mm -hmm. or sentences that they just can't help but use in their work. What are three of your absolute favorite words to use? Sure. Um, Probably love is one. (laughs) Um, The sun and and the moon, those are two that also appear. We'll put them together as one. (laughs) And then um, I've noticed a steadfast and enormity those two as well. So let's smush those together as one. So there's that. That's your three. <laughs> Share another poem. I want to hear your voice. Okay, absolutely. So this is a poem I wrote uh, end of November last year. Um, it's called One Moment. One Moment. In one moment, I went from Wentworth binging on Netflix, glass of wine in hand, windows open, sunshine blinking through sheer white curtains on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Lazy nap on the couch, snuggles and cuddles with my pup all day long. Two, three teenagers barging through the door crying, I don't know if he's alive, he was in a car accident glance down at my phone and see the hospital has called. Unconscious and extricated from the rear passenger right side of the car, a level one transport to the nearest trauma center. Glass in your mouth and nose, cuts on your face, stitches inside and out, cat scans, blood and urine screens, bruised lung, bruised ribs, clothes cut from your body, mock their real form as though made for a scarecrow, 
tattered, to flap in the wind as they keep the birds at bay, except they are your clothes, cut from your body, which was lifeless and unconscious until you awoke in the ambulance to hear news of your friend who was your very first thought, not you, but your friends. Seven calls from the ER with three different people, Stephanie, Lisa, Dr. G, the facial surgeon, no visitors allowed due to COVID-19. My phone is a lifeline. Hours between calls until I get the one to pick you up from the ambulance bay in paper clothes since yours were torn. We ride home slowly, purposefully. The bumps and turns have you calling out in pain. The moment is not lost on me. I got to pick you up and take you home. You could easily have died and had me cough and shopping. I am so grateful you are alive, my son. Done. Your poetry is so real. It's 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 touching. It's touching because it touches on real subjects. Subjects that people don't often talk about, don't want to talk about, don't want to think about. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself from being a poet? Oh, uh, so from from being a poet, I've learned um, to refine my voice and to have a voice. I um, so I know you. A lot of times you reference, you know, talking voice, speaking voice versus written voice. And for the longest yes. part of my life, yeah, my um, written voice was the strongest. It was always I, I could always rely on that. I could win arguments with anyone through the written language, mm-hmm. but um, the speaking voice is the one that was most difficult for me. So I actually had a son who was born and, and couldn't speak at first. And so, um, you know, we, we had a lot of help and a lot of different creative ways, um, uh, pictures. I would paint pictures on note cards for him and taught him sign language. And he speaks now, but for a while there I had to be his voice and it's easy to be someone else's voice when it's your kid (laughs) so I had a good teacher and and a good lesson and a good way to learn about using the voice and speaking up and then um, uh, the poetry is another way right to refine and hone that voice and then to learn how to use it and share it with others now do you think you were meant to be a poet um, yeah, I, I think that, again, I, I just feel lucky. I, I um, had, a, had a very good foundational education in um, reading, writing, diagramming. Uh, like, I think I had three or four classes <laughs> for the first, uh, I don't know, eight years of my life that, that were dedicated to uh, the written word, the, re- the words that you read, <laughs> dissecting those words. Um, so I just I had a very good foundation, and then um, because of that, um, and then I would say I guess like a, a lot of creativity, <laughs> you know, um, an artistic knack or something, you know, put those two things together, and um, you know, you get the kind of output that that I'm able to do. So I I think it's probably part of my uh, destiny, <laughs> um, and I'm glad that it has been. <laughs> oh wow. That was nicely stated. I don't think I've ever heard anyone mention that before, that it's potentially part of their destiny. <laughs> and so many people, I'm sure, feel the same way. That was nice. I like that. Thank you. You know, poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some yeah. write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because to stay silent is not an option. And I guess this kind of ties into that last answer. Why do you write? Right. If If that... When those ideas come to me, I can't just keep them to myself, right? I'll, like I said, I have to write them down and, and get them yes. on paper. And then not all of them are, are shared, but most of them are. Um, and maybe it's to a smaller audience. Maybe it's to a wider audience. It, it just depends. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I totally forgot your question. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, <laughs> again, some writers write to – to speak a message to their audience, oh, right. and others right. write because to stay silent is not an option. Why right. do you write? Okay, okay, yes. Yeah. So, like, I, 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 I can't stay silent and keep it in me, and then I get it out there on paper, and then it's just getting to that next step is, is it something that I want to share? Um, 
mm-hmm. with the audience. But I usually, uh, for poetry, I don't usually write with an, aud- an intended audience in mind. It's more of just um, something that's created within me and, and that I um, write. Of writing that I write with an intended audience, but typically not my poetry. What advice would you give an aspiring poet? I would um, say to any aspiring poet or writer to keep on writing, um, to find the type of uh, medium that you like to write on, whether it's electronic or a a notebook, um, to have that handy. And and to to write, you know, to observe, um, to see, to write what you observe. If that's that, that might be helpful. To write what inspires you, um, to share it, and then if you want to reach out to other poets, um, because I, from what I've seen, it's it's a really good community, and um, you know, they they have some good advice. Mhm, mhm. Please share another poem. Okay, sure. Thank you. How about, um, here's a poet, I'm sorry, (laughs) here's a poem uh, from my book, it's called The Monster, The Monster. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry, 1 Kings 1716. Like the never-ending jar of flour and jug of oil, the laundry never ceases, constant, daily, A stone I must carry as my burden that doesn't lift, just grows and doubles exponentially to create what I am loath to call the laundry monster. But when he stops being, those clothes I clean may no longer be. Perhaps I have found a way to embrace the gift a never-ending basket of laundry brings home. Done. What do you hope that readers get from encountering your work? What do you want them to get, to receive? Sure. Well, I, I hope that they find something in it that they can relate to. I That laundry poem I read, I actually wrote that a few years ago and read it to some of my hiking friends. And one of my friends is a therapist, and she said she reads it to her, 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 her people um, because it just shows a different perspective, right, of something that could be a burden. But then it, when you look at it in another way, um, it could provide, like, comfort or happiness, right? Um, so I, I just hope that they – the main thing, Michael, that I hope people get – from my poetry is that they're not alone, particularly the poems that are about grief or heartbreak. Where does your book fit into your career as a writer? So my book is just the start. This is my first book. Yes. <laughs> I'm um, yes. looking looking for others, right, and, and other mediums as well, um, aside from poetry. Uh, it's an exciting start, and I'm so grateful. Now, Yes, I mean, I'm grateful that you're here. I really Thank am. You. I really am. How active are you on social media? So, <laughs> I was really not on social media until, right, that, that's another thing about this book and putting myself out there and my voice out there. So I did create a website and uh, an Instagram and Twitter handle for um so that I could um, talk about this book and then some of the songs as well. And so I'm out there. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. Um, so I chose a long time ago not to be on Facebook when, um, as okay. I mentioned, my son who was born and couldn't talk, I just didn't feel like it was the right place for me to be. Um, so I've never yes. done that. Um, and again, I've just strictly been like a LinkedIn uh, that's it, <laughs> type of social media person. But with um, the birth and publishing of this book, um, I, I'm out there now, and it's exciting. I've actually found um, some new poets. I, I found a poet, poet and bought her book um, a couple weeks ago. Her name is Carrie Quinn, and then connected with her on Instagram, and she came to a reading that Michael had hosted. So I really do see it. I, I have a collection of really neat people. I like, I, I like yoga. I like meditation. So I'm able to curate some like-minded type of um, content. Right. And um, 
including poets. So it's been an, an interesting uh, new thing <laughs> that I'm currently involved in. Um, and, you know, that, that it's just, um, it's pretty new for me and I'm, I'm very cautious with it. <laughs> we have time for one more poll. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Let me see. Oh, I have a sticky note here. Just one moment. I'm working for. Oh, no problem. No problem. Okay. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Untitled. Mom, in my home, I sit on your couch, supported by your pillows, surrounded by your chairs and circular ottoman, the lampshade with a you are loved handwritten note taped on one side, your scarf around my neck, your butterfly lamp atop my red stool. I wear your white down winter coat, a necklace and bracelet. At times it hits me like a ton of concrete blocks to my chest. You died. I saw your death mask, which haunts, scars, scares, terrifies. Never before have I received such comfort from you in a time that is so sorrow-filled. I almost FaceTimed you this morning. I'd cut my hair to donate it. But then I remembered and sobbed. I gave myself a break because it has only been one month since you took your last breath on this earth and woke me from sleep on your way out. Done. They really touched me. Thank you. How has your idea of what poetry is and what poetry can do changed since you began writing poetry? When I first uh, wrote poetry, Michael, I kept it to myself. And I okay. only read it in my head. And I read even poetry of books of other poets in my head. I um, was not, I didn't realize or didn't know that poetry was to be shared, right, through voice. Um, I was invited by my cousin, Bart White, in 2014-15 to Wheeler Hill in upstate New York, which is where Michael and Carolyn Zarnecki live. And that is where they had all of these poets gather. Um, they brought their camping gear and tented and like for two or three days, everyone just read poetry out loud. I had no idea. I had, I, and so I read my first um, out loud. That was about um, the death of my mother-in-law, Big Mommy, and received a great, you know, of course, these, these poets are so generous and kind, received a great welcome and um, never looked back. <laughs> so I've learned so much <laughs> um, through this journey. What's next for you creatively? Um, sure, creatively, Michael, I'm going to still write poems, like that, that cake one I, <laughs> I read earlier. Um, so I'm going to continue to write poems. I still um, am looking for other outlets to talk about Love, Loss, and the Normandy of it all, because um, so that, that just came out in November, and with COVID, right? It's, it's just a little different now. So I'm still focusing to get that into the hands of people who might need it and could get something from it. Um, that's really important for me while writing new poems. Um, and then also working on some new songs with my um, friend Katie Newton Morse, who we have two songs out there already and more to come. <laughs> what are the name of your songs that are out sure. there? Yes, yes. So one song is called Free to Roam. Um, that song I wrote. Um, so right now we're all stuck inside, right? Especially in the wintertime, yes. those who don't have dogs. Thank God I have a dog because I'm outside every day. But, yes. um, you know, I wanted to have a place to go in your mind where you're um, climbing mountains, um, you know, in the sunlight, uh, on the moonlight, <laughs> all of those different areas. So um, free to roam, that, that's that one. It's just like a magical place to go where you're outside, but you're, you're outside in your mind. Um, and then on this ledge, 
um, is the other one that's more of a ballad and that's the combination of several poems in my my book uh, related to heartbreak um, and yeah Katie Newton Morse she's the she's the one she's the singer and the musician well we've come to the end of the hour whoa I don't know what to say <laughs> uh, thank you so well, much I just I'm really grateful, uh, really happy to be here and have this opportunity, Michael. Well, thank you, because you opened my mind. You opened my mind and you opened my heart. And I was able to empathize in terms of a number of different topics that you shared. Mm. And I think you're great. Thank you. I really <laughs> appreciate do. it. I really do, and I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. All right. Well, to our listening audience, I say good night, and I'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Good night. You have just listened to the Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio Podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.